When the bitter blows are falling, the hand of the Lord has gone out against you. The hand of Yahweh, the hand of the Lord who loves with an everlasting love, the hand of the Lord who has bound himself to you with an everlasting covenant, the hand of the Lord who is abounding in loving kindness, it's his hand. It's his hand. Remember that. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with you. El Shaddai, the do-anything all-powerful God. He has afflicted you. He's so big. You're so small. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. from Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Epaphrathites of Bethlehem Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. 
If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Dark days in Israel. The days of the judges. And once again, God's people, as they just keep doing, have turned away from them and gone after the gods of the Canaanites. This time God has sent a famine, and one man, Elimelech, has taken his wife, Naomi, and their two sickly boys, Malon and Kilion, and they have gone to live in Moab. The boys have married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, but with the passage of time, Elimelech has died, leaving Naomi, who was probably only in her mid-forties, a widow. And both of the boys have died too. Orpah and Ruth have been left as widows, and they are both childless. Oh no. What a terrible, terrible tragedy. Maybe there's some hope for Orpah and Ruth. They're still young, they could remarry, and they could yet have children. But Naomi, who, by the way, is the focus of this part of the story, Naomi has been left alone, living in a foreign land, no way to provide for herself, and no hope of things ever getting any better. It all looks very black indeed. Dark days for Israel and dark days for Naomi. That's the background against which our story is acted out, and that's where we left it last week. Verses 1 to 5 are the prologue of the story. 
From here on we get into the story proper and if you could understand the way the story is constructed, if you understood Hebrew, you would realize that it's divided into scenes. So as we move on into verse 6, Naomi is still center stage, things are still very dark for her, but verse 6 introduces a little ray of light. It's also interestingly the first time that God gets a mention. Naomi hears that the Lord has visited his people. There's bread back home. The Lord has put the Lehem back in Bethlehem. Remember I told you that Bethlehem means house of bread? The Lord has put the Lehem back in Bethlehem. A little bit of hope has been introduced. And that is our introduction to scene one. We're taken to a spot on the roadside somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem. Naomi has set out to return home, back where she came from, back where she belongs. And the word return, if you count, is used 12 times in the rest of this chapter from verse 6 on. It's kind of a little refrain that keeps recurring. Keep that in mind as we go on with the story for now. And Naomi has set out to return home, and her two daughters-in-law have set out with her to return to the land of Judah. Back around the Dead Sea. Difficult journey ahead of them, a week on the road. Now, there are some things that we should take note of already in that. The Lord has visited. Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people. Not that the weather had broken. Not that there had been an upturn in the economy. Not that the threat was gone and now it's okay to go back. The Lord had visited. The Lord is blessing again back in Bethlehem. And that's why she wanted to go back. It says the Lord visited his people. The Lord, some of your translations of the Bible, that's written in capital letters. That means it translates the name Yahweh. This is the name that is emphasized by the writer. It's the name that identifies God as the covenant God of Israel. I am Israel's redeemer, the one who brought them out of Egypt. The one who is committed to Israel. The one who said, I shall be their God and they will be my people. The God of the promise. God who had said to them, you will be a great nation and a blessing to the whole world. This is the one that Naomi is talking about here when she says that the Lord has visited his people. And that's why she wants to go back. Now, do you see what that means? It means that this woman, Naomi, even after 10 years in Moab, making her way among idolaters, has not entirely forgotten about her God. Naomi remembers. Now that in itself is a remarkable thing for the days of the judges. Do you remember it says in Judges 8, Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. The children of Israel didn't remember their God, but Naomi did. It's just interesting. I mean, 
I don't know why Elimelech, God is my king, went to Moab, and I don't know why Naomi went along with it. Maybe her faith was weak at the time, maybe she and Elimelech were discouraged, but they didn't turn their backs entirely on the Lord. For here she is, 10 years on, after all that she has been through, and she still remembers God when the people around her don't. And she's still able to see God's hand in that little ray of light on the horizon. Maybe her faith is weak, but against the odds and contrary to expectation, she still has some faith. God has preserved her. He could have given her over to follow the gods of Moab. She still has enough faith that in her distress, her thoughts turn to the Lord and his land and his people, enough faith to take her back where she belongs, enough faith to take her back home, back to where God is, back to God's people, back where she belongs. She has enough faith to return. And I think that's God's doing, and I think that God is very gracious. He doesn't abandon his people, even when they wander from him. Anyway, they've set out and... Somewhere along the road, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. Girls, go back home. It's been nice to have the company, but go back where you belong. Of course, if they go back, Naomi will have to do the rest of that dangerous journey alone. But I guess Naomi knows what it's like to be a widow and a foreigner. She knows that a widow is not just someone whose husband has died. A widow in those days, a widow was alone in the world, abandoned, no one to protect her, nobody to provide for her. She was the equivalent of an orphan or a stranger. The only hope a widow would have had was to remarry, but as Moabites... Orpah and Ruth wouldn't have had much chance for that in Israel. So Naomi tells them to go back and a very noble thing for her to do, so it seems. But before they do go back, she prays for them. She says, the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Naomi prays for Orpah and Ruth. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? She prays for God's blessing. She prays for his kindness, for his goodness, for his love, for his faithfulness. The word that Naomi uses in her prayer means all of that. But you know, I don't want to be too hard on Naomi. But there's something about that prayer that's not quite right. Have you spotted it? She's praying for God's blessing. But she's trying to send them back to Moab. To their Moabite gods. Naomi knows God. She still has some faith in him. If she didn't, she wouldn't be praying at all. But she doesn't have enough faith. She doesn't have enough faith to encourage them to put their trust in God and come to Bethlehem with her where they could find two God-fearing men. I mean, would that be impossible to our God? I don't think so. Naomi believed enough to pray, but she was focused on the possible problems and she didn't believe enough to encourage them to take the risk. Now, we know the end of the story. Naomi's prayer for Ruth 
wasn't in line with God's plan for Ruth. And that's why this prayer wasn't answered. And I wonder, did Naomi regret that prayer later when she had seen what God could do? So here's a challenge for you. You have enough faith to pray for God to bless, to bless you and to bless other people. I I know that. But do you have enough faith to look beyond what will make you and the people you pray for comfortable and happy? Because that's what a lot of our prayers are about, isn't it? Lord, bless us. Keep us safe. Make us comfortable and happy. Make it go well in our world and make it easy. Do you have enough faith, though, to pray for the things that really matter? Do you have enough faith to pray for the risky thing when being faithful to God calls for taking risks? Are you prepared to go out on a limb? Do you have faith to pray prayers like, Lord, bring me back to Bethlehem where there are no guarantees, where humanly speaking it looks hopeless for me and I stand a much better chance if I stay where I am. Do you have enough faith to pray for things that might prove very costly? And do you have enough faith to encourage other people to take risks instead of just praying, Lord, bless them? Maybe we'd see more prayers answered if we only showed more of that kind of faith when we pray. But back to Naomi. Naomi pleads with the girls to go back and then she says, It grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Don't see this, as some do, as Naomi being angry or resentful about what has happened for her. I don't think it is and there's no reason to think that. It's simply Naomi acknowledging the fact that all of this stuff that has happened to her, everything from the famine in Bethlehem to her widowhood and her barrenness, she's acknowledging that it's the hand of the Lord. Now, some people have a problem with that thought. God having a hand in the bad stuff that happens. Hmm. But just think, what's the alternative? When bad things happen, What would you rather believe? Would you rather believe that it's down to blind chance or that it's the work of the devil or it's the acts of wicked men? Is it not more reassuring to know that everything that happens, even the bad stuff, is under the control of a loving Heavenly Father? I know what I would rather believe. And it is what the Bible teaches. God is sovereign over everything. Nothing happens, but he allows it. And it's not that God gives in reluctantly and lets the bad stuff happen. Somehow he has an active hand in it coming to pass. And he has his own good reasons for it. Now, I know that stirs up some hard questions. We're going to have to leave them for another day. But for now, it's just enough to take note of the fact that Naomi believed it. And look, she says, the Lord's hand has gone out against her. He's still Yahweh in her reckoning. He's still the covenant God of Israel committed to love and to bless his people. It grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, she said. And can I just say in passing, it's okay to grieve. 
Some of us, us Christians, have forgotten how to mourn. We have our heads full of God's sovereignty and so full of God's sovereignty that we think it would show a lack of faith to be anything other than happy all the time. It's a sad, broken world. And there are going to be many times this side of heaven when we will have reason to weep. And we should. Death hurts. Separation hurts. Loss hurts. Suffering and hardship is not how it's meant to be, and it's okay to grieve. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He didn't say, lest you sorrow. He said, so that you don't sorrow in the same way as other people who have no hope. You see, you still grieve, it's just that your grief is different because you can look beyond it. And Peter, when he was writing about our hope in heaven, he wrote, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you're distressed by various trials. And the word he uses is is a word that means you are in great turmoil. You're all churned up about these trials that have come your way. You look forward and you rejoice in the hope of heaven, but now for a little while the turmoil is very real. Even as you rejoice, you're still feeling grief. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve intensely. It's okay to lift up your voice and weep like Orpah and Ruth did and like Naomi did, even though she knew it was from the hand of the Lord. It was okay for them to weep. It was okay for them to weep together. And it's okay for you to express your grief or to share somebody else's. Don't try to persuade yourself that everything's okay when it's not. just think it's so sad when I see Christians doing that and they feel they've got to pretend that everything's okay and their hearts are breaking. And don't try to persuade anybody else that everything is okay when clearly it isn't. You don't have to do that. Faith in times of grief is not to rejoice as if the bad stuff hadn't happened. Faith simply owns the grief and bows humbly beneath the hand of God in the hope and the assurance that his way is perfect. Well, anyway, Orpah decides to go back to Moab And it's not the writer's intention for us to pass judgment on Orpah here for doing that. There's nothing said about the rightness or wrongness of her decision. It doesn't really matter as far as what we're meant to take out of the story is concerned. She's only here as a contrast to make what Ruth decides to do stand out all the more, as do all of Naomi's attempts to persuade both of the women to return to Moab. What Orpah does is, is reasonable. She's shown kindness to Naomi by coming this far. And she parts from her reluctantly only after some very strong persuasion on Naomi's part. And humanly speaking, she makes the sensible choice to go back home. But Ruth, she makes up her mind to journey on to Bethlehem with Naomi. Naomi tries to persuade her again, but Ruth will have none of it. She says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. 
And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, again, some things I want you to notice. First of all, it says in verse 15 that Ruth clung to Naomi. Now, that doesn't mean she grabbed her around the neck and wouldn't let her go. This is the same word that's translated in Genesis 2.24 as cleave. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh is a pretty strong commitment. And the same word is used in Deuteronomy 10 as well. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. So Ruth's making a pretty strong commitment here, and that's not the kind of commitment I think that would have been characteristic of Moabites who were brought up on idolatry and human sacrifices. Ruth is showing the kind of commitment to another person here that at least ought to be a characteristic of God's people. And the second thing to note is that Ruth is making a promise here. She's making a commitment, a commitment to share Naomi's future, to adopt Naomi's home among the people of God and make it her home and to make Naomi's God her God. And look again, her commitment even extends beyond Naomi's death. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. So do you see this is more than a commitment to Naomi? It's a commitment to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. And the structure of Ruth's speech emphasizes that. The middle, the high point of that little speech is your people shall be my people and your God my God. So we're definitely meant to take note of that. And thirdly, Ruth's promise is an oath before God. It's a covenant, if you like. And what all this tells me is that Ruth has come to faith. She's a believer. She's now a servant of God. Her commitment is to God and to God's people and to Israel's future. I wonder how that happened. Did somebody witness to her? Somebody told her about God. Somebody told her a lot about God. Elimelech, God is my king. Kilion, her husband. Naomi. One of them must have had that influence on Ruth. Even though, as far as we know, all that they had known from before the time Ruth met them was affliction from the hand of God, somebody influenced Ruth to turn to the Lord. And I think it was likely Naomi, seeing as how Ruth is so committed to her. Do you see how God can use our witness even in our times of affliction? Sometimes God just reveals himself to other people, even the way we handle our suffering when it comes our way. And sometimes he brings other people to himself by the things we say. And you see too, he can still do it when, like Naomi, 
our faith isn't perfect. When we're struggling to hold on to God ourselves, God can still use our witness to bring other people to himself. And so, scene one, a little exchange on the roadside, ends with Naomi and Ruth journeying on to Bethlehem. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. Scene two now opens in Bethlehem. The whole city has been stirred by Naomi's return. Well, what do we notice here? Well, briefly, one thing that stands out is that the name that Naomi now uses for God is different. It happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. In the last scene, she used the name Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. Now it's El Shaddai, the all-powerful God who can do anything. Now there isn't time to go into all the references, but if you look back in the Old Testament to all the references to El Shaddai before the time of Ruth, you'll find that He's the God who transforms hopelessness into blessing. He's the God who gives protection to his people in times of uncertainty. He's the God who blesses when blessing looks impossible. He's the God who's at his best when a situation is at its worst. And again, as with Naomi's use of the term Yahweh, again, the structure of the story suggests that this isn't just another name for God. It suggests that Naomi's choice of what to call God here is very significant. So the gist of her words to the people of Bethlehem are excited to see her is, I have experienced such bitterness at the hand of God, at the hand of God who is almighty. So even in her recounting of what has happened, there's a note of acceptance, of submission. Naomi bowing humbly under the hand of God. And as I said back in scene one, there are those who take from Naomi's words that she's bitter against God for all that's happened to her. And I'll say again, I don't think she is. If you read carefully, it doesn't say that Naomi is bitter against God. Yes, she says that she has come upon hard times and a bitter experience has befallen her and has it ever. She says God's hand has brought it upon her. But that's not necessarily a complaint against God. It's just an acknowledgement of the reality. And yes, God brought it about. But in the same breath, she acknowledges he is God. He is God Almighty. Oh, my experience has been so bad, so bitter, as you cannot imagine. It has been God's doing. But he is almighty God, and I'm just me. Call me bitter. Don't call me beautiful anymore. I'm no longer the pleasant woman who left here 
full of hope. I'm coming back to you, a changed woman, a broken woman, not bitter, but broken. There's another side to Naomi's words in her little speech to the people in Bethlehem. She hasn't got a good thing to say. It's all negative. There's no mention of Ruth. It's as if Ruth has never spoken. It's all me, my. There's no we or us. And sometimes when God deals a bitter blow, it can be hard to see beyond the bad things. Hard to see the hope, hard to see those little rays of light on the horizon, isn't it? And maybe we're not bitter. We're broken, we're resigned, we're submitted to the hand of God like Naomi was. And in that brokenness, we struggle to see beyond the darkness. We're broken, but we're struggling. We see and acknowledge God's hand in what has happened. We humbly accept it. We might even say we trust him for the future, but it's hard to see beyond the darkness. That's where Naomi has come to. And so scene two ends. Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's the beginning of the barley harvest. April, the start of the start of the harvest. First comes the barley and then comes the wheat. The harvest has come and there's promise of more. Now the writer's emphasis is on Ruth's return. Here's a puzzle for you. Why does he call it a return? Take that one away and think about it. Ruth coming home? And she gets her full title. They call her Ruth the Moabites because now the spotlight is shifting and Ruth, instead of Naomi, is taking center stage. We haven't heard the last of Naomi, of course, she'll be back. Chapter 2 as the interpreter of events and in chapter 3 and 4 as the agent of God's blessing. But Ruth is the, the focus for now. Dark, dark days in Israel. Dark days for Naomi, but as the scene ends, Naomi is home, Ruth is home, returned where they belong, in God's place, among God's people, and there's a harvest, and the horizon is brightening with hope. God is at work. We know it, but Naomi hasn't seen it yet. Life deals some bitter blows. Sometimes it's not just one thing. Sometimes it's one thing after another dark days. We know now that even in those dark days God is at work doing good things. We might have no idea what God is up to but he's doing something good. And even when those bitter blows should come as a result of our own sin, even then God is at work doing good things. We've learned that already from Ruth's story. 
But man, it's still hard when those bitter blows fall, isn't it? It still hurts. What do you do while it's going on, when you're in the middle of it? How do you cope? Well, I think Naomi, with all her struggles and the weakness of her faith, she can still teach us a thing or two. Not because the Bible sets her up as an example to follow. She's not that. But because her story gives us some insight into the ways of God, it helps us to see what's really going on in the dark days. Those bitter blows that fall on us, they come from the hand of God. So there's no point in getting mad at the other people who are just the agents. There's no point even in getting mad at the devil or at fate, whatever that is. When the bitter blows are falling, the hand of the Lord has gone out against you. The hand of the Lord. The hand of Yahweh. The hand of the Lord who loves with an everlasting love. The hand of the Lord who has bound himself to you with an everlasting covenant. The hand of the Lord who is abounding in loving kindness. It's his hand. Others might have a hand in it. But that's secondary. It's his hand. Remember that. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with you. El Shaddai. The do-anything, all-powerful God. He has afflicted you. He's so big. You're so small. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. When the hard things come, don't resent it. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't turn against them. Don't argue with Almighty God. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Submit to him. Be faithful to him. And trust him even as the bitter blows fall. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Now, you might struggle to do that. You probably will. Naomi did. Your faith might be weak. Naomi's was. You might grieve. Naomi did, and that was okay. You might be broken and changed as you come through those things that are happening, and Naomi was. But just you wait till you see how God is going to bring Naomi through all of this. And he'll bring you through it too. Because even as the bitter blows from his hand are raining down, he's still doing something good. Keep looking for that light on the horizon. Don't be anxious. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. wonder how you got that wrong at some time? Was there a time when some bitter blows were falling on you? 
from the hand of God. And you did get angry. And you got resentful. And maybe even that's still eating away at you. Can I just remind you, you can't argue with Almighty God. Have you got it wrong? Was there a time when the, the bitter blows fell on you from the hand of God and you headed off to Moab to try and find happiness with other gods? You left God's place, you withdrew from God's people, and yeah, you're still coming to church, you still remember God and his people, like Naomi. God has preserved you, and you should be glad about that, but you know you're not where you ought to be. Well, it's time to come home. It might be costly. There are no guarantees that life will be easy, but it's time to return. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, easy things to say, easy things to talk about, but oh, so hard when it's happening. We pray for one another now, Father, if there is anyone who's coming through dark times, we pray, Father, that you would keep them strong. And as they humble themselves under your mighty hand. We pray, our Father, that you would keep them faithful to you and that you would help us to be a support and encouragement and a blessing to them through the dark times, that together we might come into the light of your blessing once more. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.